Today on Parent Time, we join the Stripey Sock Club as we chat to Tina and Mark Harris of La La's Big Live Band on Benny Asking People Questions. If you've been living under a rock for the past 10 years, chances are you still have very much heard of my next guest. Their infectious attitude, their consistently approachable style and crazed work ethic has seen them become one of Australia's most loved, most sung and perhaps most revered children's acts on the scene. I'm talking, of course, about Tina and Mark Harris, otherwise or perhaps better known as Lala and Buzz. And I'm a little uh, overwhelmed, Pidge. To be joined oh, no, by them today. Uh, hi, Tina. Hi, Mark. Thanks for As hanging you. out. <laughs> oh, you know, us, us oldies can still have, you know, <laughs> you know, we, we still have those people that we're, we're mildly in awe of. Um, straight off the bat, congratulations on 10 years. It's pretty exciting. It is. It is. Is this kind of, was this a bit of a long-term goal or is this a little bit of an unexpected milestone? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I think you, you start any project and, and you have you always hope that it's going to have longevity, but you you never really... You know, people, they sit you down in those business meetings and they say, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in ten years? I don't think I ever really kind of... You don't of, have an envelope with no, ten years written on it? No, no, no. I mean, we, we kind of jumped in into this wonderful journey with a bit of a you know, a hope and a wish and, and all of a sudden it's 10 years later. <laughs> yeah, you know, when we started this, it was um, on the back of coming out of having young, young children. Yep. And Tina was wanting to re-enter the workplace and um, a friend of hers suggested that she teach early childhood music classes and so yep. that's what she did. And so the precursor to Lala is Lala's Music Place, which was a series of schools doing um, kinder music yep. program. And at, at that time, there was one particular mum, the lovely Jody, <laughs> who said uh, one day when I brought the bass in and we were doing some songs as like an end of term concert thingy for the kids just informally, she said, oh, you guys are so great. You know, you should do a concert. You know, we definitely buy tickets. And we were like, oh, that's interesting. You know, we don't run our classes during school holiday times. And, you know, there's often these down periods where there's no sort of um, action. And so we, we thought... Well, that's a good idea. Let's let's record an album and do it. I said, Tina, sure. I thought I'm always the chicken who never thinks of anything. Um, and it's true. and I think, you know, really at that point we were still pretty focused on running Lala's Music Place as a business long term. So it was kind of got like Lala's Music Place would be the the during term time yeah. thing, and then we'd do a couple of concerts to sure. you know to have Just some fun in the holidays, to do. have yeah, something to sure. do in the holidays. Uh, but it was it was very rapidly um, became apparent that. Um, but the, the desire for Lala really was there. Jodie was right. Um, and that if we gave it a bit more love, that it could actually supersede the schools. And Lala's Big Life Band. Lala's Big Life Band. We're going to jam, going to jam all over the land. Lala's Big Life Band. Right at that early stages, obviously, with the, with the studies, um, quite extensive studies of both you at the con and various other places, I mean, it was still... Was music for children something you were quite passionate for anyway, right from the get-go of those days? And so Lala's was a little bit of an inevitability or was it a bit like, what am I going to do to kind uh, of earn I money? Think, you know, I, I think in a way you throw it out there to the universe and, and life takes you on a series of interesting paths. I mean, when I finished um, 
I, I did a, a couple of degrees at the conservatorium and then finished with a master's of music and fell in love with French song. And I was like, let's move to Paris. That'd be a great idea. And we can, I'll sing with the opera and Mark can play jazz and nightclubs. And it's not a bad plan. So we Is did that, that. envelope somewhere? Yeah. <laughs> but we, we actually did that. We sold up everything and we moved to France for six months. And just after getting married. Just after getting married. And then we, um, of course, ran out of money and became really fat from eating too much cheese and drinking too much red wine. <laughs> and then I had in my youth done an exchange um, because I used to play saxophone in the concert band um, in Japan and somehow or other I'd kept this little clipping I'd seen before we left to move to France with advertising jobs teaching English in Japan and I said to Mark this is a good idea we should go do this and Mark said okay so we applied for the jobs and we moved to um, Tokyo where we taught English for two years but one of the things that we did in Japan was um, I ended up being the head of the um, kids group at the school that I was teaching at and I was working a lot with little preschoolers. And I think that potentially started the yeah. the seed for working with, with little ones. And prior to that, you had toured with the Upper Australia Schools program. Yeah, that's program true, Upper Australia for a, for a long time. Schools. But I think like so many... You know, Mums and dads have babies and life changes and mm. your career path and where you see yourself then and now and there's this small person. And I think um, I did an absolute, you know, that with singing opera. It just didn't work with my lifestyle yeah, and sure. who I was yeah. anymore. And so, um, yeah, actually working in early childhood music education was 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 the love choice. For me, well, I think... Sorry, Benny. Um, for me, my story is quite a bit different. I mean, I, I came out of high school and went straight into the con as a young jazz double bass player very gung-ho to be a hardcore cutting edge you know i'm gonna move to new york and do the whole how's that working for you yeah well, yeah right thank god that didn't happen <laughs> um and i think thankfully in australia i mean it's not thankfully because it's really hard um to make a living as a musician you have to be willing to do a whole number of things including teaching and teaching including birthday parties and bar mitzvahs and weddings and like just anything you can imagine you can possibly do um you do to get by and 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 that's where i found myself doing two particular things uh one of them was playing as a session bass player for the baby's proms orchestra at the opera house when it was still running and the other one was um being asked to fill in for a couple of the ensembles for the music of ever in schools touring program both of which exposed me and got me a lot of experience without even thinking about it or necessarily wanting it in working with little kids. And I found straight away that I actually really loved it. I, I remember doing one of those Baby Proms concerts and the conductor came up to me and he goes, oh, mate, one day you'll be one of the Wiggles. You're just so good with the kids. And at, even at that time, for another five years, that never, that, yeah, that's, that's only come back to me now. That'd be great moving to New York. Yeah, and, I had no, uh, absolutely no drinking desire. Habit. But then, you know, little by little, also teaching kids in Japan, which actually I was terrible at. Um, and then working with Tina and Lala's Music Place, um, and having little kids of my own, suddenly you see kids in a whole different yeah. light when you've got your, your own. They're adorable little creatures um, rather than ones you want to hand back at, at <laughs> you know, aunts and uncles' weddings and stuff. And uh, now I, I just couldn't imagine doing anything else. Well, it's kind of a, a lot, it's quite a common thing with, with children's, or people writing music for children's, that they, they do have this... Usually what happens is they have kids themselves, they're musicians, yeah. they have kids, they look around the market and go, oh, there's nothing that I enjoy, and so they, they fill that gap. But it does seem that you already had that in the first place. You already had. So, I mean, children coming into it, did it kind of just solidify the idea of wanting to continue this Hang thing on, I just on? need to go back here a sec, Benny. Uh, how old are your kids? My kids are old. Uh, one's five and a half and one and a half. That means that when you had your kids, you were looking around for what was good and you thought there's nothing <laughs> that I like. 
I like where you're see going where with this. Yeah, I, I, see, I see what you're saying. Um, uh, you I consider him. myself a teacher that plays guitar, <laughs> not a musician that teaches kids. So there you go. So. But touche, touche. <laughs> no, no, we're the same. We, we said the same thing. kind of drew on when we first started was we loved the format of the baby's proms at the opera house and the thing that I liked most about that was at the end of every show back then the musicians would come into and this was all Richard Gill who's who set this up the musicians would come into the audience because they were tiny little houses with their violins with their cellos with the drums and the kids would have a chance to see these instruments up close and personal and then um, sometimes touch the musical instruments mm. which was really cool but over the years, that format changed quite a bit and there was now no opportunity for children to see um, real professional musicians playing instruments and then getting their hands all over the instruments at the end of a show. And so I guess that at, at the end of its day, that's still our core point of di- difference is that Lala is about introducing children to music and musical instruments. Yeah. Um, has that become a little bit harder as the crowds have got bigger? It has. to maintain that interaction? It has, and we still do. We've been advised, you know, a, a number <laughs> of times we've partnered with um, a promoter or a production company and, and they've said, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't um, go out into the audience afterwards because it takes too long. Because often the meet and greet after one of our shows will be as, as long, long as, as the show. Yeah. and longer. Yeah, and if you've got a second show on the same day, it really does put a lot of pressure on your company to yeah. turn the room around and get the new audience in and the old audience out mm-hmm. and all that kind of work. But for us, we've tried to find workarounds because it is so important for the kids and the parents to have that experience because if a child sees you on television there's a certain amount of disconnect because you're not real and especially with a program like us where it's um uh it has animated backgrounds and so there's not always that you know the first thing a five-year-old will say to me is you're real and it's and it's you're like yeah absolutely that's that's right because on the tv it's quite removed but when they come along to a show they see you know cause and effect they see a musician playing this instrument they see the instrument making the sound and then at the end of the show they get to put their hands on it and feel where the vibrations come from and that's the kind of magic of what la la is i think also with that age group as well you're also talking about children that still tend to be quite egocentric so it's as relevant as it is to them personally and so even though there might be 350 other kids in the room it's still just for them and so being able to touch the instruments and be part of that kind of yeah, just I, makes it even more personable towards them. And I, I think suspect. there is, like, I mean, the, the thing about being on a stage is um, you are slightly removed. It's, it is almost like being on a TV set. And so when you actually come into the audience afterwards, I mean, we, we did the Melbourne Recital Centre for Christmas at the end of last year, and I think there were 900 people in the audience, and we did a meet and greet after the show. Um, which caused major traffic jams inside the, the, the theatre. Yeah. <laughs> but what we did was we, we tried to get the band to split up into different zones yep. so um, and parents could then move around amongst the instruments and, and, you know, not necessarily go and see everyone but go and see someone. And, and I think, again, um, parents really appreciate that because, you know, it just, you're just trying to, to make that connection and I think that's, that's all you can really ask. First you take a little knock oh, oh, and you make a little to put it with a little uh, uh, then it's ready to be her, her, her. now you mix it all around 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 playing with the music that we found talking about your your 
your band members are these are, are they the same core guys that were with you right back when you did start because i know you love lala's big live band was actually quite a large band wasn't it originally no, no. and then you kind of paired no, it's it always, always been, been the same piece. it's always been a five piece and, and are they essentially the same people They're, from the word go from the very 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 first recording that we did and the very first live show we've had two, two changes, changes. Um, and that was to do with musicians availability basically um, and the the lovely thing about the group then so by the time we actually ended up going and making the first lot of video clips for Nickelodeon back in no we still uh, didn't have Tom oh, Tom that's Tom right Tom. yeah 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 by the end of the first year by about nine months in uh, we did a season at the Enmore Theatre and that was the and core that band. was the core band and, and it was just this magic stuff. mix of personalities and people and what the lovely thing I'm I'm always very <laughs> always find very cute is that the actual personalities of the um, of the live musicians has somehow or rather kind of ended up in the characters that are on the TV show. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's one thing I was going to say, because the, mu- the, the one thing that sets you aside, and, and I really do kind of believe this in, in, in all the music out there that is being provided for it's children. terrible actors. Is you terrible <laughs> actors? Well, the irony is, I was about to say how good you are. Because the thing is, the musicianship is just extraordinary in a month, like what's going on stage. Like a really, just the way everyone's playing with each other and they're not sort of just filling gaps. They're kind of, you know, you're all moving around each other. And it really is amazing. However, the, music, the musicianship pales in comparison to their miming skills. <laughs> and the reason Except I say mime. that is because to take someone who would have music as being such an important thing, as you said, hardcore jazz muso, often trying to find someone to go, that's really great. Now I need you to essentially play um, mute and just be miming excitement and stuff. I actually don't think that would be too easy to find. And you've well, found three people that are really well, so, but, into doing it. Yeah, and the, I think the, um, the I mean, there's two things there. The first thing is that when we first made the TV series, um, the boys had had no experience acting at all, like none of them. They are professional touring musicians in Australia. That's what they do. And we were terrified. We were like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? Are, are they actually going to be able to, to do this? So, and the wonderful thing about the school playground is, um, especially in Newtown, is you meet the most interesting people. So Mm. one of our script writers, in our school playground in Australia Street, we met um, one of our script writers, our drama director, who was married to our script writer, um, uh, our end up production accountant and the lady who did some of the sculptures for the TV show. That was just in our oh, school playground. So oh, and co-songwriter cool. for Oh, one of the, the co-songwriters too. So um, Mariam, our scriptwriter, her husband is uh, the wonderful James Evans who's the head of um, education at Bell Shakespeare. And we said, James, we need someone who's going to come in and um, drama with direct <laughs> with these non-actors and help them through this process. So James actually came on and he coached the boys wow. through all of that and it was a wonderful, wonderful thing to have. And we'd had a couple of years with our, uh, the, the TV series producer and, and um, shot director, mm. um, Deb Ryan, who had spent years screaming at them um, on live shows. <laughs> Stay in character. Stay in character. Stay in character. Um, so they were they were versed in staying g'd up at least yeah. being you know yeah. high energy. Yeah, keeping the enthusiasm. Well, you so can yeah, see it. And it's a team team effort to keep yeah. the guys. I mean, and it really <laughs> and is. I mean, it's one of the things I've always loved about the show. Just kind of go. They're, they're actually really into it and they're really good at but it. But miming to yourself playing a track is so hard to Man, do. It's hard. Yeah. Like it's really hard to do, and um, you have to spend a lot of time listening to the recordings over and over again, so you can actually make sure that you are you know. Yeah. 
yeah. for a better term. Well, tom-tom on the drums particularly because it's very, like on a saxophone, you can more or less hold the saxophone in your mouth and wiggle your fingers and it, and it looks like you're playing whatever you're hearing. But on the drums, it's it's very, 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 very visual obvious. where the stick makes contact, a yeah. sound is supposed to come out. And of course, for the first albums that we recorded, which formed the material that we mimed to in Lala's Adventures, we never told. We never knew we were going to be making TV, so we certainly never told the guys mm. to be cognizant. You're going to be miming to this one day, and so, so, hard. and so the guys in their instruments are playing like they would play a jazz gig, which we, mm. all, which we still insist they mm. do. Even now, they know that they're going to be miming one day. That we still say, forget that. <laughs> today you're a jazz guy. Just, play. just, and we're recording on Friday, so it's going to be the same conversation mm. again. But then they get into studio, and then Tom Tom is like, oh no, I've got to remember that feel. I've got to do that. That, how did I get from verse two and verse three with that thing and then the, the triplet and ah? Boom, chaka, boom, chaka, boom, boom, boom. boom. A baby, boom, 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 baby, boom, boom, boom. Boom, chaka, boom, chaka, boom, boom, boom. A baby, boom, 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 baby, boom, boom, boom. Feel that. I think the interesting thing though on the complete extreme of that is so that, I mean, that's a rarity that they actually have to do that for, for video content. But when, when they're actually at a live show, the rule is go for it like blow and so I think that's why parents always say afterwards wow that was so exciting it was just like going to a grown-up concert it's because they are actually improvising and mm. no solos ever the same and we never know musically in a live show where it's actually going to go and what's going to happen because especially when I make mistakes and they never understand <laughs> the kind of makeup where we are which happens quite a bit um but but they really do just kind of like go for it and I think that's what makes it interesting for everybody mm. and keeps it all exciting and alive for, for us on stage as well as I would hate to do yep. do it to backing tracks that and would drive me nuts and there's so lots of little kind of in, in musical gags that we do with each other to keep mm. it fun on, yeah, on, right. on stage on tour so for example if you come and see Lala doing a show and we have the song There Are Many Stars um, in the introduction to that bit yep. um, <laughs> listen carefully to Mr Saxophone doing his best impersonation of Kenny G's cheesiest <laughs> soprano saxophone and he just does it really quietly in the background, yeah. and we're wetting ourselves on there's stage. Little, there's a little bit of Kenny G in the in the um, in the latest album, I reckon. Having fun. There's a little bit of oh, who did that? Was that Maddie? Maddie. Yeah, oh. yeah. Hey, Mr. Saxophone, you want to? What's the interesting? Thing? No one's, no jazzer has written in yet saying, in the TV series. Oh yeah. There's a lick that um, we did as a joke, and and yeah. you can you, if you go to YouTube and Google um, the the I think it's called the lick. Yeah. The sax lick or the lick, and it's a it's a phrase that came up in bebop music in the yep. late 40s, early 50s, um, and it just goes dooba dooba yuda, and okay, yeah. that's it. And it's and there's a great YouTube edit that just has like 50 songs from jazz through to pop and hip hop and everything where that's in there. No, we're not in there, but we should no, be. No, no, but we've put we we've, we've put it in the TV series all the way through it. Yeah, like it right. became a real kind of like bit of a where can, in, you, in, where can, where you can we put it? You know, <laughs> so you'll see Mr. Saxophone walk past and go do 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 do. Wow! But we did do live recording in the so the video clips because of the way of the nature of TV you do actually have to mime separate. to yourself you have to separate the the channel so you can do that but we tried this new thing called live underscoring because we wanted the musicians to be able to reply 
um, to dialogue to dialogue as an emotion through their instrument. So, for example, something shocking happens and the band goes, dun, bum, dun, bum, dun. and they played that. Or live. Lala's recounting a sad tale and Squeezie's playing like a really sad yeah. ballad on his accordion. But on the it couch caused us her. so many headaches in post because. Um, the you can't control the, the EQ and the reverb of the, of the music sound. Normally what you would do is you would isolate them or you'd get them to mime or, or you'd make sure that they'd play when no one's speaking so that then you could chop that bit of music out and then you could replace it with clean audio later in ADR. So, yeah, that was a bit of a... It was a bit of a... Yeah, we, we liked the device, but the, the way that we yeah, actually so did we're, it... We're, we're reconsidering that. Was, that, was <laughs> that your decision purely based on being musicians and kind of going, wouldn't it be great? It might be easy. Because yeah. I guess I yeah, guess the, I guess actually responding on the day, it's much easier for you to do that from a production point of view. It's harder, but yeah, purely think, playing live, yeah. it's much easier. I for well, I hate watching TV shows and movies where they've got musicians playing an instrument and it's so clear a they're not playing so and it's really badly musician. mimed and b they actually have no idea even how to even hold the instrument no one's even given them a lesson on how to hold it. We, we we were so definite that everyone had to play their instruments that in one segment which is called band on the bus where we get all the um, guest musicians on the bus we decided to have kids in one day and we got this adorable little kid called jamie who's a friend <laughs> of ours um, to play the cello and this kid was like seven years old and he's trying to play the saint the swan he did um, such da, an amazing. Da, he did da, such da, a good job. Da, he did beautiful. You know, but yeah, that's right. And and we just made the decision. Jamie is he's a young musician. Yeah. He's playing the way he plays, and we're going to respect that and, yeah. and present that exactly how it yeah. is. And and I think you know that that's really that's important. so much more informative to a kid who's yeah. watching about yeah. and wanting to learn about music than some cheesy you know either midi represented or getting some professional to come in and re-record it afterwards. It's like do you do you find yourself particularly in this market? With the kids' market being so, um, being so true, I guess to the musicology of stuff. I mean, do you find people? Do you find external people in the production sort of world kind of going, just get over that and move on and do this because this is more important? Like a classic example is, like, do you, do you, do you find yourself getting caught up on the minimalist things that no one else is going to notice, but it's it's about you just feeling you need to be really honest to the instrumental things like that. Um, yes, I. I I mean, we're, we're pretty good at bouncing things around mm. and I think the, the nice thing about Mark and myself is when we work together, we're quite frictious with this stuff mm. and, and robust in conversation about what works and what doesn't work and, you know, um, Mark will get stuck on something that's absolutely musically correct and I'll be like, no, hang on, look, what are we actually, you know, trying, what's the real message that we're trying to get across here? Um, I think that the, the thing that we've always found tricky is... On one level, we fit, we've got one foot in the camp of we're all professional musicians and it's music first and um, this is what we do. And then on the other hand, because of the TV show, we're compared with a commercial model. And so the commercial people think that we're too um, artsy-fartsy and the and vice versa, we find that um, the art scene says that we're too commercial and so we're kind of in this limbo land um and so everything that we do with lala seems to be we 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 have to self-generate so we're you know we produce our own tours because it's too hard to go off and get someone to produce our own tours or we de- develop our own merchandise because it's hard to go off and do it in that business model or um you know, we're, we're going to crowdfund to make our next TV series because it's so hard to go out and, and get that, you know, raise money that way. 
Is that because of what you're saying? Because you sort of find yourself in this thing where some people are sort of all for it if you change it enough to be like they want and there's another camp going, well, we're all for it if you just change it a bit to be like what we're after. Is that kind of what you mean? Like you're sort of saying you're having to do a lot of this yourself because it's your way of protecting the thing that you do without having to... Oh, there's a bit of that. I, mean, the, I think the point Tina was making mm. is that um, people who look at uh, a preschool children's production, whether it's live or television, from a purely commercial aspect will look at what we do and think we can't make money off you. Yep. Um, so we're not going to back you and support you. Mm. And the funding bodies artistically, like you know the various arts councils, etc., um, um, state and federal based, look at us and go, "Well, we're not going to fund something like Lala's production, uh, Lala, uh, Lala production, because you know you're on telly, you're commercial, you make money selling merchandise, and you know it's not an arts project; it's a it's a commercial." So yeah, music we do project. find ourselves in this kind of like limbo space, and. Um which is which is challenging, but with challenge comes great reward and resourcefulness. So I think part of the fact of our longevity of being around for ten years is is the fact that we we've had to do it ourselves, and we have to we have to reinvent, and we have to keep coming up with new ideas and and keep um, pushing it internally. And mm. you know, and the fact that it's such a love project of ours that yeah. we just won't let it go. <laughs> Seatbelt always makes this sound Clickety, clickety, click clack It's the safest way to ride around Clickety, clickety, click clack Going to the beach or off to school Clickety, clickety, click clack That clicking sound just feels so I don't think we've had too much pressure, though, to uh, amend editorially what we do to suit other people's agendas. I mean, I know we've offended to certain other people's agendas by what we do in America. Uh, apparently, we're unbroadcastable because we're not unbroadcastable. We just started. I know, I know, we I know. Just but started. There was an opinion of a certain of, of a certain content by that we were unbroadcastable across America because um, Squeezy Sneezy didn't cover his face with a handkerchief when he sneezed in the song Archie Gesundheit, or Mr. Saxophone uh, was lying in bed with his saxophone and children shouldn't be encouraged to take any musical instruments yeah. into bed with them. Um, and so, you know, I mean, would we That's take... That's just stuff with kids across the board, early exactly. childhood. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's just exactly. so obsessed with... We, you know. Would we, in hindsight, you know, run scripts before going into production past potential broadcast customers to make sure that you're not crossing those guidelines? I don't know. I mean, we, we still think that those decisions are fun and inoffensive and not dangerous and so I, I, I would hate to see them changed it certainly would make life easier if it had been easier to we have one song that gets love mail and that's the brush your teeth song that's hands down our most popular, popular. song and we have it's funny one because it's the simplest I know it's really simple really simple and then we have one song that I wouldn't say it gets hate mail, but it certainly gets some polarizing pretty mail. polarizing mail. And from that's four-year-olds? From no. mum. Four-year-olds love it. And it's not every hate. mum, so it's a really interesting <laughs> thing. And I think, you know, it's it's. I'm a mum, and as mums we all have different ways that we um, bring right. up our little ones and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. But what really polarises mm. is washing your hands and where you wipe them. So we have this song called I Like to Wash My Hands and Wipe Them on My Pants. Some mothers think it's hilarious and fantastic and it's right in line with Peter Coombs' mm. Wash Your Face with Orange Juice. You're not asking the children to go out and wash their face with orange juice. It's funny. It opens conversation and dialogue. But some mums get really upset about the wiping your hands on your pants. And so it's it's become a bit of um, a bit of a love project of mine. 
everyone who writes in, and when I say everyone, there's not many, and maybe there's been 10 people over, you know, the years that that song's been out there, write these really passionate emails about how upset they are that we have endorsed their child washing at, washing their hands wow. and wiping them on their pants. And I always go back and, and take the time to explain that we actually went out and did some research on this and we spoke to World Vision, who we were partnered with at the time. And this song is... Reasonable endorsement. Yeah. They this say song it's okay. is, Yeah, they say that the most important thing is getting your kid to wash their hands. And washing your hands will save lives. And mm. really, where you wipe them, that's totally up to you. But... Um, yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting song that one. To to the point where we tend not to perform it live anymore because I personally I get yeah, worried. No, I don't want to offend anyone, right. <laughs> so I won't actually sing it live. I like to wash my hands and wipe them on my pants. Wash my hands and take a little chance. I like to wash my hands and wipe them on my pants. Obviously, the musicians you've been with, you've been with them for a long time, and I'm guessing you all know each other incredibly well, and you also know the way you play and the styles. How meticulously do you take finished products into the studio, or do you kind of go in and go, I've got so three chords, a really go. timely it's a very question, topic, as topical we're about to question. go on Friday. Um, I was just up until midnight last night, preparing a chart. We used yeah. to. Well, the, I mean, the, I th the initial process of how we would write is... Usually, I would come up with an idea or a topic or some kind of song and I'd sketch out some lyrics and I'd sing it into my phone and then I'd send it to Mark. Mark would work his magic, which is, you know, phenomenal arranging and um, how the whole thing will, will happen. The form and the structure. And, and then he'd bring it back to me. And, and then we would argue about it for probably a day hate and a half. Hate reasons. each other's guts about it because, it's like, no, 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 that's not how I hear it in my no. head. It doesn't go like doesn't that. Flow, and he's like, can. no, 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 it goes like this. And after we kind of argy-bargied around, then we'd take it to the band. And usually we would take it to them. In more or less finished. More or less finished. I would make parts. Yeah. But then... That was the first album. That was the first album. But then it's kind of like um, we ended up going with World Vision to Walpuri Country on a tour and uh, there was three days we had with the band in the middle of the Northern Territory. Walpuri um, Country is the, the Aboriginal country's, um, or country immediately north of Northern Territory and, and in a troopy or in an off-road bus, it extends about 12 hours' drive direct north and about seven or eight hours west and east. So it's a huge country, like it's like Tasmania, like it's an enormous place. Mm. Uh, and we did a tour of four Aboriginal communities there. Um, which was amazing. Which was extraordinary. But yeah, we, we had a lot of time together. <laughs> and so you know, either on the bus, everyone would be writing songs. And, and then we got together and we, we actually workshopped all those songs. And when we went into studio that time for the Sing It Loud album, it was it was great we kind of knew the way that it kind of flowed and formed yeah we'd actually had rehearsals yeah we had rehearsals but on friday it's going to be really like there'll be maybe a lead sheet maybe there'll be some lyrics and we'll just get in there and we'll just jam until we get yeah. it right yeah i think i think these days the, the most few, few most recent albums have have consisted of the, the most common thing is a lead sheet and 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 i don't know if your listeners know what that is but essentially it's a sheet that has the lyrics the melody written out and the chord symbols like that a guitarist can work off and I mean we're as jazz musicians are used to working from that on in all of our gigs and so we then stand in the room we go okay cool who's going to take a solo what's the intro going to be how fast what's the groove going to be we're going to do it like Latin style or gypsy or whatever well, let's go and we just kind of brainstorm it for a bit and have a few jams on it and then go okay press record and we just run one down that's the most that's half of them now mm. and then other ones 
Um, if someone has particularly had a kernel of an idea or more than a kernel of an idea at home, then they might come with something slightly more fleshed out. Sure. But it's certainly not parts written out anymore. I mean, the first album was like that just because I was nervous. But now <laughs> yeah, there's just no time. We'll run out of time. But, but that's, that's a pretty... Um, like, not a lot of people are able to give across that much musical power. I mean, that's a lot of trust in the people that you're doing it with. You know what I mean? A lot of people still are quite... I mean, you know, they allow input, but they're still very well. Okay, but this is how it goes. Yeah, I, I think, mean, I think the is there a part of that? Just is there a part of that that's almost a little bit of a time saver for you as well? Because you do tour, yeah, you tour relentlessly. I mean, how do you find time to go now? I that's think, right. I think what um, the interesting shift was when we first started Lala. It was very much a project that that Mark and I had come up with a concept for, and and we were off doing that. But um, over the years. Um, the band are, you know, the band is Lala now. Mm. And, you know, it's Matt, it's it's Nick, it's Gary. And um, I think, and especially because we're touring on the road together, we are like a family. And, um, you know, for example, our Christmas party, when we all got together, it was, it was potentially more fun than other Christmas parties <laughs> we went to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, we yeah. are really a, a, like a family. Yeah. And so everyone feels now ownership of creation of creativity and mm. I, I think that's that, really cool. That, that came during the Walpuri trip. Yeah. Mm. So that was, what, 2014? And, and I was so glad that the girls, our two daughters, mm. came, came on that us. trip because they're really part of the crew because of that experience too. Yeah. But we, we, we actively put, due to time constraints really, but, I mean, there was never a question of trusting their musical sensibilities, but due to time constraints, when you were coming up from Walbury, going straight into the studio, and we didn't have enough material. So we said, guys, on the bus, you need to write two songs each. Um, and and that's what happened. I could list them off the... I could list it, and we did yeah, it. And we did it. That's we did exactly it. what happened. Absolutely, everyone had two songs to write each. I wrote each. Clickety Clack and Scat Cat. That's right. Mr. Saxophone wrote When It's Cold and... Um, These your friends in the band. Friends in the band yeah. and one other one. Tom Tom, Tom, Tom did Umbrella. And anyway, so what we suddenly found is that they each have their own style. Oh, and Gary brought Nature Song, which is a song he had in his drawer for 20 years. Um, Oh, did he? That's interesting. A very well-developed song, actually, Mm. is one of our favourites. And so we started to find that Mr. Saxophone has a real sensibility to bluesy rock and roll, really kind of vibe. Yes, he does. And um, Tom Tom has a really eclectic, obviously kind of groove library and really interesting percussion effects and layering of things. His um, kind of his songwriting is really unconventional. He come to us with these really weird sketches, but we love them. So the song he wrote, Umbrella, we, we just that's actually one of the band's favourite songs and nobody knows it at all. Um, we couldn't do it live because it's got so much layering in it. I like my... Sneezy writes kind of like Randy Newman. They're these adorable, <laughs> pastoral, family-friendly, delightful, they just put a smile on your face kind of songs. <laughs> and I, I tend to write the gypsy kind of stuff. Yeah. And Mr. Zaxophone, we both heard that together. <laughs> I'm a show tune girl. <laughs> yeah, you like the mu- all the music theatre ones. Why, 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 why? <laughs> it's actually quite interesting you say that because I get the sense from Lala's Big Adventure, that album of 20... 20- 
something tracked. So is, is it an amalgamation of sort of the years coming up to... Lala's Adventures? Sh- yeah, Lala's so Adventures. So Lala's Adventures soundtrack album is, is the audio tracks mm. that are featured as music video clips from the series and they those tracks came from the first two albums that we released yeah. which are no longer in print shake yep. it like this yes. was in 2009 yes. and making music la la's way which yep. is 2011 and so there are 26 songs yeah. from the series there are a whole bunch of ones that are left over which we're considering re-releasing at the moment because because and i got that sense that there's a lot of the, a lot of the, those albums are kind of over cumulative years of mm-hmm. sort of and then going this one and this one and this one but the one thing about seeing sing it loud and it's interesting you saying that being written on the bus um, is it's got it's really intimate. I think it's a really intimate album. Everyone seems to be really having fun and kind of playing off each other. There's a couple of aspects of that album which I also don't notice in your other stuff. Is that one's got a lot of really intentional teaching kind of songs. You've mm. got Miss Please and Mr. Thank You. You've got Groovy ABC, Clickety Clack, um, which isn't as prevalent. Well, in fact, I don't even think it's in the latest in having fun. I don't, I don't see it as often, but it seems to really stick out in seeing it loud. I mean, is that just yeah? Because that's you, where you were. You do have conversations around your approach mm. to each album uh, at the time, and I so think my notebook is is the culprit there. Yeah. So I have this little notebook, and and I, I always felt a lot of pressure to to kind of come up with new material, mm. and so in the notebook, any idea that would would come along, I would write write it down. Oh, that, that'd be a good song. Oh, that'd be a good song. Oh, that's a great idea for a song. And so, for example, we would, Mark and I would go out and do these little two-handed daycare education shows, which were great fun. But, um, for example, I'd be doing a show and then you, you would use this in class too. You get what you get. And, and you, you don't, don't get, get upset. upset. And I'm like, yeah, that'd make a great song. We should do that. So, I mean... It, yeah, it informs what you're exactly. writing because you're watching... Oh, you're not you're dealing actually good. well with that. Exactly. How How, do let's this? do a song about yeah, that. Yeah, int- I mean, you're interesting, the kind of mindset of an album. Like, Shake It Like This was just... This is a whole new concept. We have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> let's book a date and make some songs. And so you just... Without any sort of theme or anything, it was just write some songs that would be good for kids and that, you know, obviously come from our jazz background mm. and that kind of stuff and gypsy background. Um, so that's Shake It Like This. Mm. Making Music La La's Way, which came next, was was 18 months later. And like, man, we really need to make another album. It's crazy. It's been almost two years. How do we do something that's as good as the first one? Oh, no. So you've got that whole fear of a second album. From then on, we don't care. We just we kind of figure it. We, we know what we're doing now. Then, yeah, definitely Sing It Loud was much more about the educational thing. Then Having Fun came along and we recorded that at the same time as our Christmas album. Yep. We literally did four days and pumped out ten songs a day for four days. Whoa. It was absolute mayhem. Whoa, <laughs> and that was the sketchiest album, just bringing in like stuff on the back of a tea towel or whatever. Really? Yeah, yeah totally, really totally. interesting, isn't it? But uh, that, uh, to me, there's I, I like the raw energy in a lot of Having Fun. I, I, I think Sing It Loud possibly has better fully crafted songs. Yeah, Sing It Loud's my favourite album. Um, I found Having Fun to be a much bigger album. Yeah. I felt there was a lot of bigger sounds. There's a lot more reverbs, a lot more panned harmonies. There's all and that kind of stuff going on. The mixing engineer is a Different engineer too. So okay. And TomTom was producing a lot more in it. Like, yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't producer. use a producer who stands in the booth and makes musical comments, etc., yep. or arrangement ideas. We, we just produce together. As a jazz band does, but in that in a having fun session, really because of time constraint, we were just having okay. to punch out a song every literally every hour. We had to press record and start a new one, and 
and wow. and Tom Tom it was he just has he just has a way of listening when he's recording mm. and he he just goes you know what guys why don't we repeat that but take out that extra bar there and you know Mr. Saxophone why don't just harmonize a third above yeah. that one and you know and and he just he's able to observe that way where I'm just too freaking out about playing I think you bass. can hear that though in the in particular those two albums I mean you you hear the other one sounds like people that have rehearsed the song and they know mm. it and they sit down and mic and go go whereas this one feels like you've had well, now you're telling me you had no luxury at all, but almost like you had to record what you had, stand back and go, what does it need? And it feels like there's a lot more overdubs and things like that. Can you sing one, two, three, four, five? That's how it goes, one, two, three, four, five. Oh, one, two, three, four, five. That's how we do this number about that album that stood out for me is this idea of listening songs You've compared really to actions. You've really checked this out, Benny. I'm really impressed. Yes. You've probably listened to it more than we have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've got a whole team of people that listen to me and they send through notes. So I haven't actually heard it at all. So I'm just, I'm just really it. grateful it's the right album. <laughs> we make them get, out, get them out there and then get on with the job of so someone's So I just got a note here about when you're working on Abbey Road. It's, yeah, <laughs> um, no, but there's this idea between listening song and action songs and a lot of kids, you know, that's something that you'd have, I remember Peter Dacent talking oh, about Peter writing, Dacent. writing, Justine stuff and you were saying you know when you're doing play school it's a whole different audience and when mm. you're doing Justine it's like people are sitting in a car yep. and I got that real difference between having fun feels like it's it's almost more for a child on their own not on their own but they can immerse themselves in it whereas the other albums they couldn't help but jump up and be involved and, and run around I mean is that is that I mean am I reading way too much into this I or don't think so. is that sort of I something think you're thinking you about I don't know if we necessarily planned out to do that but uh, I, yeah, I think I agree with you. The result, having fun, is more of a listening album than a. Mm. I think. Um, which makes it really hard to choose songs from it to do live. To do live, yeah, and and that's always the is the challenge is what's going to work in a live show and what's going to work better on the the album. Um, but I mean, I guess always we we try and come back. Every song has got to kind of touch on some principles. Um, early childhood music principles so we always try and get in there some highs and lows fast and lows stops and goes louds and softs so a song will usually um, deal with some kind of opposites in some way wherever we can Um, and that's you know that's I'm a bit of a stickler for the education stuff being kind of interwoven into the music in some way and Um, obvious but not didactic exactly so I you know I just think brush your teeth is probably the best example of a song that does that that it's got fast fast slow slow. sudden stops sudden stops there's just there's a couple just and I'll wrap this up soon so you can get on with uh, all the other stuff you've friendly got to get to for your recording on Friday. Um, like writing songs. Like writing songs. And let you go. <laughs> Maybe this is helping. I don't know. Okay. Oh, you just gave me an idea. Um, so two, two things in, in particular I want to address on that album. The first one is um, morning slumbers, sort of around, and it's, I literally think it's like one minute thirty. There's this double bass solo that you do. <laughs> Do you 
remember someone's actually talking to me about a double bass song. Well, the thing is, I heard it and I just, like, it sort of, I had it on and then I kind of was, I don't know, washing up. I don't know, that's just the action old mime. And then I kind of went, you oh, and I ran over and I rewound it. The fact it. is that you noticed the double bass solo, is prob- you probably also noticed that it's the only double bass solo on any of Lala's albums. It's the only double bass solo I actually suspect in the history of children's music. <laughs> I and, I, and what I want to ask, the thing about it is, is, is it's so... Um, What's that joke about double bass solos? Isn't there a really good jazz joke? Oh, uh, there is. It's I think a, that is the joke. Isn't it's yeah. a, it's a long one. <laughs> yeah. But um, the thing is, it's 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 such. It's not. I mean, someone goes, "I'm going to put a solo into a children's song," and you know, they have you have an immediate image that you conjure up of it jumping around and being all exciting stuff. But this is really sentimental, almost melancholy. I mean, the first thing I thought was like. Like Vangelis from Blade Runner and stuff like that. Like it's Tina got hates, this. Tina hates that song. <laughs> <laughs> what? But before, just and, and I don't. I don't want to know about bass in anything else. Specifically that song. Why? Why did you go? This is what's happening now. Well, I think if. I'm going well, to dine out on this one, you know. Yeah, well, there's this to- totally um, a, a, a healthy whack of narcissism in there. Yeah. I want my solo, <laughs> goddammit, it's my turn. Um, but really, um, if it's you I'm are... guessing no one else said do it. No, God, no. That was my choice. Well, if you are going to do a double bass solo on a children's album, don't put it in one of the rock and roll songs. Don't put it in one of the jumping down. No one's going to hear it. Yeah, true. It's, it's, you know, most people listen to these songs in the car where the, the low-frequency rumble of the wheels on the ground is what's predominant. You're just going to lose it. So at least in that song, it is a ballad and there's there's the sonic space there's not much else frequency wise going on and there's room to hear the notes and it's really short and i play it up high you'll hear it's up in thumb position um and so it just has a chance to it's just it's, and it's only like six bars long or something it's not long, uh, long enough. A, a it is the best thing about that song thank you <laughs> apart we, from your singing we, no we 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 had so much <laughs> Contention over. over that song. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and for, for a couple of reasons. One is that I think the other ballad that Mark wrote, which is completely standalone, amazing, is "There Are Many Stars," and um, similarly wrote it under um, under similar conditions. When yeah, you think back to it, fight. yeah. <laughs> We had a big argument and I was like, you've got to write a song. And he went off. It was off. like a d- two days before the Shake It Like This recording was session. So, um, we were so pressured about what actually, songs. And so he went off and he was teaching at Sydney Grammar that school at that day and he came home and he goes, oh, I've written you a song. And he played <laughs> wrote it. wrote a bloody song. I wrote a song. And he played it and I just burst into tears. It was so beautiful. And so, I mean, that, that was that was a really amazing experience. But this See, Benny, one, I still got it. <laughs> yeah, this one, we had a similar kind of argument. And then Mark went off and wrote this song, and he came back, and I went, I hate it. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> it does not excuse yeah. what you did. That actually brings me a quite interesting question. It didn't work for Kim Gordon and Thurston Moore of Sonic Youth. Not so great for Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham or Stevie Nicks and Mick Fleetwood or Mick Fleetwood and anyone else for that matter, nor did it pan out for any of the members of ABBA. So what makes you two so special and how have you been able to stay level-headed and working, working so intimately and exhaustively together? Well, I think we've, we've always tended to try and have a business coach. Just want to point out, I'll put you in the same category as Sonic Youth there. That was so pretty That's cool. amazing. Thank, thank yeah, you. yeah. Um, My head's yeah. a bit spinning from yeah. that whole question. You can now pl- uh, apply for those arts. Grants. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't know. Look, I think um, Mac 
marriage marriage is hard work. It is. And working together is hard work. It is. And we do occasionally have the conversation of, oh my gosh, we work together, live together, sleep together. This is ridiculous. We don't see the kids enough. We see each other more than we see the kids, which, you know, I'd rather see the kids more, really. Um, but we do, we have always, over the last 10 years, tried to have a business coach. And the joke has okay. always been that um, business coach is cheaper than marriage counselling sure. because you do need a channel to um, to have conversations about work where you are, you mm. know, you can you can have an honest conversation about work. Yeah, I think, I think in you know we're celebrating ten years this year. The first five years of of the dynamic between us was a certain way, and that has certainly shifted in the last five years, um, and it's. Now I think what's different is... We name it. We name, yeah, we name whose role is what role. And we no, name when one person isn't keeping up the end of the bargain. That's usually me. <laughs> um, no, but like if there's a feeling, you know how you know how you'll get into a situation or a scenario, and this, this is not just husbands and wife, this is friendships, this is business meetings or whatever, and there's a feeling, there's a heaviness or mm. there's a block. And what we've started doing is we name it hey can you feel that feeling or there's a block on on this what do you reckon it is and then we try and discuss it until we find what it is that frees it up and and that doesn't happen instantly sometimes that can take us you know the best part of a week or two weeks to to figure out what that is but as soon as we figure that out then we can move forward and um touch wood so far that seems to be working all right yeah Yeah. we've definitely had our brouhaha's But we don't really not many these days. Yeah, I mean, we most things are, are, are you know, task-based brouhaha's yeah. now. You know, you didn't. We need to get this event up by now. It's like, oh, I haven't got time. I've got to do this other job. It's like, well, well you please put the dishwasher. It. Like, put the plates in yep. the dishwasher, not yep. on top of the dishwasher. Like, what is that? That's the kids. I don't do that. It's not the kids, style, It's you. <laughs> yeah, my kids aren't big enough to pick up their own plates yet, so I can't use <laughs> them. Kids didn't do the washing up again. Um, just a couple more questions. One last one on um, having fun, and it's. The basically the bicycle song. Wheels go round and round and round. Bell goes ring, ring, ring. Wind goes past, whoosh, 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 whoosh. Now I'm really travelling fast. I liked the bicycle song is is truly beautiful. It's I guess in in children's. I had very world. little to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's real like my next comment. Squeezy. It's very non-specifically, non-specific musically. No, but it's like it, for a children's world, it kind of almost has that minimalist kind of just a, that that just the yeah. rolling piano line. I think it yeah. is in there. But there's thing about it lyrically. It's one of the rare songs of yours, which is really incredibly personal, and you don't invite the child in. It's a pure observational song for a child to sit back and, and observe your experience with riding your mm. bike. Um, were you even remotely conscious of this or is this just me See, going, that's really oh, interesting. That's, nice. that's interesting you say that because when I was writing the lyrics for that, I was imagining myself as the child. And so... I was just imagining Queen. <laughs> I like to ride yeah. my bicycle. It's not a bad thing to So the, the Gary came, Gary Squeezy Sneezy, came with this beautiful um, that running, pi- that, that piano, piano line. line really. And it was like, what is this song? So we kind of sat around and we listened to it for a while going, you know, and, our, and at the we time... We like to get Gary around to our house, just, and there's just the three of us. We sit around our piano, around the kitchen table, yeah, lots have of some fun. coffees, and we just... Coffee and lots of food. And it doesn't happen often. It's stuff. usually in the week before a session. Yeah, and it's usually quite stressful, but... <laughs> we just did one on Friday. Okay. Yeah, um, but, uh, yeah, I think um, 
the, the idea was, wouldn't it be lovely if this song was more of a sound bath, like a wash of yeah. of experiences, and it's something that you just kind of close your eyes and, and you just kind of you have a feeling of what it's like to feel the, the wind brushing past your hair and hearing the children in the playground and, and that kind of thing. Nice so it was very organic the way it kind mm. of came about. And I think because of that, I really like the bicycle song and I really like the umbrella song. They're really, they're so different from everything else mm. we do. But see, that's where I reckon, in, in terms of, you know, pointing out credit where it's due, where Matt Ottenyon, who's Mr. Saxophone, comes into his own. Because... Mm. Um, the, the person who has least information when we go into a session is usually him because the saxophone, he's not, he doesn't get the main melodies because mm. the singers get that. So he has to usually find a place to add colour and, and a part. And he, we, don't, we, we no longer write his parts for him, so he just comes in and he, we just say, Matt, bring your flute, bring your clarinet, bring your tenor, bring your barry, bring a recorder if you want or whatever, bring a whole bunch of stuff. And play. And just play. <laughs> and, and if you listen to what he does on Bicycle, it's, I think it's stunning. He just, he just knows how to read it and knows exactly what to put. I kind of felt that through the whole album, though. Like I kind of. But felt he does what, that's his thing. Yeah. He just does that. And it kind of felt to me that um, having fun was almost like all of you have been through this potentially by that stage, an eight and a half, nine year thing. And this was an album where you all just really relaxed into each other and just relaxed what you were doing. Like the others, you're still, I mean, it wasn't that you weren't relaxed, but they were still very tight and kiddy and jumpy and stuff. Yeah. This album felt like it just, everyone had just kind of shaken some, I mean, I don't know if that was. If I, I think also that was the first CD that we wrote having signed to Sony as well. So there was a different kind of sense of, um, of, yeah, we feel like we're, recording artists now so it was the first time that we wow. knew that we had a That's major labor label backing us and i think all of us That's just kind of just yeah. took a breath and went yeah we're we're kind of like we feel like we're here but i also yeah and also on the back of sing it loud which was the one before that where we had first asked the guys to bring stuff we were so happy with that that, that at having fun it was definitely everybody whatever you bring in is going to be yeah, we'll, 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 we'll look at and, and, and actually we never throw anything out we recorded everything that anyone brought mm. in and we released everything that anyone brought in oh, the no, only one that one hasn't song was on the Christmas yeah, album yeah. although we now we, we, we think we might it. put it on this next album um, well it sounds like you've Mr. Saxophone you're running out of time yeah, so you no. might need something might need it, it might really, yeah, yeah. Just okay look for Santa Hop on the new album yeah Mr. Saxophone wrote that one it's kind of out there he wanted it to be like a real kind of hip hop dirty it's so Christmas not song. us, like it's, but it's it's yeah, kind of fun. Makes total and sense. So hip hop Christmas song. We didn't put it on the Christmas yeah. album, but we think we might put it on the best of album. Yeah, just for fun. Um, thank you very much for your time today. I do appreciate you chatting about what you do and giving us a little bit more of an insight into it. Just one last quick question. You're obviously pretty passionate about music for kids. Um. With all, you talk about the daycare stuff that you do and also I know you're sort of getting into the musical education on a bigger scale and trying to influence um, government and, and policy and things like that. Um, I did get a real sense from having fun that there's a few show tune musical numbers potentially in there so that might be something that might be dropping out of the pocket soon. Um, with all this stuff that's going on, it seems like there's this whole new life that's sort of being potentially being formed. What what is or where is La La's in twenty years, thirty years? I mean, have you you strike me as people that have even if it's a quiet one, you have some sort of plan. 
great question. Um, and one that we were just talking about Just yesterday. talking about as we were walking around the park walking the dog. Um, I honestly, I, at this stage, I just don't know. And um, I am someone who likes to have a really big roadmap. I love to have a plan. Mm. And, and I think that's, it's very much on my... Tina on makes a vision board at the beginning of every year that I lives do. on our bedroom door yep. all year. And it's funny because our youngest one, uh, little one, Emily, likes to go and tick off at the end of the year. So, Mummy, we did this one and we did this one and we did this one and we did this one. Oh, Mummy, look, we, we, we changed yeah. houses Oh, but too. you didn't do this one and this yeah. one. She, she does. Yeah. Sure, sure, no, no, but she actually does. She goes, is that going on next year? So, um, yeah, so at this stage, I think we're really... This year is a really a, a, last year was a year of consolidating for us, and this year really is a year of celebration. Where where I'm really great at pushing us forward and constantly looking at the next goal, but I think this is the year that we actually need to go. We're turning ten, mm. you know, that's a massive achievement. You know, we've just started on air in the US. That's that's huge. Um, there are some pretty big. We've got kind the of new educational resource coming out with ACTF. Exactly, we're going to make a new TV series this year. These new are really album. big cool things Ooh, that we, last year. yeah we just need yeah. to kind of go yay just this is enjoy and just enjoy it a bit and then i'll run off like a lunatic and start pushing us again but like at this at this present moment i think we're just happy to be yeah well you're doing pretty good at being i gotta say <laughs> it's being very successful um and again thank you very much for your time today and uh yeah thanks tina and mark thank you Benny. Thanks, Benny. thank you so much and if you'd like to know more about Lala's Big Life Band, then head along to their site at www.lala.com. That's L-A-H-L-A-H.com. And of course, for more Parent Time goodness, head along to www.bennytime.com. Thanks for listening to me, Benny, asking people questions. Wow.